Our text this morning is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 36 through 39. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you will work in our midst here today as we study this passage, as we seek to know what you would have for us to learn from it. I pray that you will let us see you more clearly, that you will let us see our sin more clearly and lead us to repent from it. And I pray that your name would be glorified in our midst today. Amen. Finish up Hebrews chapter 10, and next week we'll go back to Leviticus. It's important to remember the context of what the writer's, the argument that he's been making. He's been making that the new covenant is a better covenant. It has a better sacrifice. It wasn't like the sacrifice of bulls and goats. The sacrifice that they make the sacrifice and they walk away and they are changed. Their sin is, still remains day, month after month, week after week, year after year. But then Christ came, the better sacrifice. And he was a better sacrifice because he accomplished what the Old Testament sacrifices could never accomplish. He actually dealt with sin. He actually took away sin. It's an effectual sacrifice, not like the sacrifice of bulls and goats that we're just pointing to the sacrifice of Christ, the one that actually works. The Old Covenant left Israel under the wrath of God to be destroyed by God in due time. And then he makes that reference after talking in Deuteronomy 32 about that day will come where he will destroy Israel. And he says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And then the right goes, but I have a better expectation for you. When you were first saved, you took abuse, you suffered You struggled through the sufferings, but you didn't reject God. You didn't reject His ways. You didn't say as the the Jews attacked you that, that they should fall back, they should draw back. Instead, they continued on walking in faithfulness. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods. They willingly visited people who were in prison for the sake of the gospel. But now he's going to make the argument, even though they can look back and they can see what they did. And he has a greater expectation for them. He still says that's not enough. Endurance is required. In the Old Testament, there were people who started well. But that didn't matter unless they finished well. So he goes to Habakkuk 2 to make his argument. The just shall live by faith. I think this verse gets twisted quite a bit when people handle it. So I think it's worth considering Paul's argument using the same verse from Galatians 3, 10 through 12. For as many as under, excuse me, as many are, as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. 
Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. It starts by quoting the establishment of the Old Covenant. When Israel swears they will do all the things that God commands them to do, that is the establishment of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant with God. There was a a covenant of works. We do all the things you commanded us and you'll be our God and we'll be your people. They immediately made a golden calf. They immediately fell away. And so Paul starts by saying, look, everyone's cursed who thinks, curses everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law. So they were, the old covenant was saying that they would be saved by works. But then he says, but that's obviously not how it works. No one is justified by the works of the law because the just shall live by faith. And this is frequently taken to mean that those who have faith will be justified and then they will have eternal life. But that's not what it says. That's not what it says at all. What it says, those who are just, those who have been made right with God, they will live according to what they believe. They will live according to their faith. So he's saying exactly the opposite. The, the old covenant was that you come to Christ through obedience to God. And God says, that's not, nobody will come that way. Only Christ obeyed God so that he wasn't cursed. The old covenant was a covenant that leaves everybody cursed. But the new covenant is I will write my law in your heart and your mind. I will, because you have been justified, I will cause you to live that out in faith. And that's the argument that the writer of Hebrews is going to make. And so we need to recognize that Christ came and he made his sacrifice and he had his blood poured out so that people would walk in righteousness. Not just that he would close his eyes to their sin. And so Paul in Galatians 3, when he says, what, you think that, that now somehow you're sanctified by the works of the law rather than through the Spirit. But that doesn't mean that being sanctified through the Spirit doesn't produce obedience to the law. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians 3. That's what he says in Galatians 3. The just shall live by faith. God saves us. Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil, which is sin. He came to to end the curse as far as it is found. That's why Jesus came. He came to undo the work of the first Adam. And he starts by doing that in his people those who he chooses to show mercy to, those who are the just, they then live by faith. They walk in accordance to what they believe. If God gives the gift of faith so that you see God is who he is, that he is just, that he is righteous, that he is holy, that he is good, that he is merciful, and he judges those who are in rebellion. If you have that belief, then you live in a different way than the rest of the people in the world. You're not saved by works, but you are saved to works. You are saved to destroy sin in your life. Jesus Christ came to take away sins, and so he sanctifies every single person who has faith in him, he sanctifies them, he cleanses their sin, he changes them. 
Because he was not a failure. It was not a failure like the old covenant where nobody could live according to the works of the law. It was a covenant that works. So when we say it's possible to have the gift of faith but not to turn away from sin, to not actually have our sin taken away, we're rejecting the efficacy of the crucifixion. We're rejecting that Christ's sacrifice mattered at all. Because Christ came to fix the problem with sin. So when we say that you can have faith but not walk in holiness, we're rejecting, we're rejecting Christ and the power of the gospel. We're rejecting the power of Christ's sacrifice and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to transform lives. just shall live by faith when we read the context and we'll read the context of Habakkuk 2 the context is you won't be proud that's the most basic context of the just shall live by faith is you have the proud and you have the just the proud do what's right in their own eyes they're the damned and you have the just who do what's right in God's eyes they're the ones who God has changed They're the ones who he has given the gift of faith to. God is just. And it's not some theoretical justice that at the end of time he balances all the scales. No, he is just now. He causes there to be real consequences of sin. And that's his argument to Habakkuk. His argument to Habakkuk when Habakkuk goes, hey, the Chaldeans are much worse than we are. Why don't you destroy them? Why are you having them destroy us? And God goes, no, you're worse. You're worse because you're blaspheming my name. You're worse because you say you're the people of God. But yet, yeah, you aren't as bad as the Chaldeans, but look at the things you do. You say you have faith. You say you believe in me, but look at what you do. That's why I'm destroying you. Because the proud live like you do, and the just live by faith. So let's consider his argument. Verse 36, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Right? You have need. He starts with, remember he just said it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And then he talks about Deuteronomy 32, Where vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Which is about the destruction of Israel because they would not obey God. They grew fat, they grew thick. And they forgot the God who delivered them from Egypt. So he says, look, remember, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. And then he goes, look, if it was bad for those who rejected Mosaic law, where on two or three witnesses they were put to death, what do you think it will be for those who trample under the blood of Jesus Christ? Who treat the blood of Jesus Christ as a vain thing? Why would you think that they would avoid the outpouring of wrath? Those who say Christ did not come to destroy sin, he did not come to defeat sin and the first fruits of creation and his people. 
So to avoid the outpouring of wrath, we don't just get to say, oh, I profess belief in Christ. I'm good with God. I can now go and sin however I want because I've been justified by grace. God showed mercy to whom he showed mercy. But no, we have to go. Christ came to take away sin. He will when he shows mercy. It's not just this one thing that you'll, you'll get out of hell. It's he shows mercy by breaking the bondage of sin now. He shows mercy by making you stop being a slave of sin and start to be a slave of righteousness now. And so they have a need. They have to keep demonstrating. They, if they want that great confidence, like it said in the previous verse, that, that because of the struggles, because of when they had the opportunity to forsake God, that they were like the, the parable of the sower where they had suffered persecution. They had the needs of the world and they had all their worldly goods plundered and they made the choice whether they'd be choked out by the cares of the world or not. And then the writer of Hebrews goes, But you need more than that. You don't just need that testimony that that happened once. You need to endure. You need to show that your sin has been taken away. You need to have endurance. That word more typically is translated patience. But the the Greek word that's translated endurance is really a combination of two words. And what it means is to stay under. Meno, which is to remain, and hupo, which is under. So it's to remain under. So the idea of more is that you're not working to escape. When bad things happen, do you say, I'm going to do the will of God here, or am I just going to work to escape? And so I think endurance is a good term. But understand what it means. Do you endure the suffering or do you just try to find a way out and say, any way out's fine? Or do you say, if this is God's will, God's will be done? You know, it's easy to turn away sin for a short period. It's easy to turn away sin where you have to make a profession of faith like the Jews did and they'd be put out of the synagogue, they'd be made a spectacle. They'd have their goods plundered and they could joyfully have their goods plundered. But sometimes, then the, the persecution eases up, and it starts again, and people go, no, yeah, that's, that's too much. That happens frequently. I've seen it many times in churches, where the people are willing to make sacrifices for a season, and then things start to go easy, and then the sacrifices come back, and they go, I can't do that. And they leave the faith rather than doing that. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, understand, just because you can look back and see what you did when you first came to faith, see how the world rejected you, and you accepted that rejection, and you accepted it because you were testifying to who God was, and so you accepted it joyfully. Are you prepared to accept it next time? That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Are you prepared to stay under it next time? The Christian walk is about enduring. People can do things for a short period of time. They can resist the temptation to sin for a short period of time. But can you run the race with endurance? Resisting for a short period of time is not the real testimony of Christ in your life. 
the testimony of Christ in your life is he took away sins, so you persevere to the end because he took away sins. And he's able to carry you through your life to eternal life. So that after, after they had to endure because of what happened, now they have to continue to endure. And here's what the endurance is. You have done the will of God. That's what endurance is. That's what they have to stay under. When the world's saying, go this way, this will be easier. Go that way, do that. That'll make it easier. Life will be more pleasant if you just do this. The writer of Hebrews is saying, if you want the promise of eternal life, you have to stay in the will of God. You have to stay in the will of God. That's how you receive the promise. When he talks about the need to endure, he's not talking about enduring by calling yourself a Christian. He's not talking about enduring by by continuing to go to church. He's talking about enduring by doing the will of God. You need to actually submit to God's will and not your own will. We're going to talk about it in a minute, but in Habakkuk he says there's the proud and there's the just. The proud do what they think is right. The just do what God thinks is right. That's the difference. To endure, you have to remain in the will of God. The person who doesn't fall away when their goods are plundered might just be doing their will. I won't let them force me to do anything. They might be resisting out of pride rather than out of a desire to do God's will. But Jesus Christ came and he shed his blood so that there would be a people he was not ashamed to call his people because the Holy Spirit will cause them to walk in his statutes and his commandments. That's what the Holy Spirit was sent for so that we would walk in the will of God. That's what it says in Ezekiel. So we must endure in doing God's will. That's the promise of the new covenant. We can endure in doing God's will, not by our strength, not by our wisdom, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the will of God. We must endure in doing God's will, especially when his will is not what we would desire to do. You have to believe, and you actually have to live like you believe. The just shall live by faith. You have to live by the belief that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he gets to tell you what to do. Those are the ones that receive the promise. That's what you need to stay under. That's what you need to endure doing. You need to stay under the will of God, regardless of who or what comes against us, we need to be doing what God says, regardless of whether we think, no, this, this is a better idea. No, who cares that you think it's a better idea? God is God, and you are not. To think you have a better idea is always, that puts you in the category of the proud. Regardless of how wise we think his ways are by faith, we need to see they're wiser than our ways. And so by faith, we walk in them. And so we endure to the end. So if we endure in doing the will of God into the end, throughout our lives, that means we need to be asking now, how would God direct our steps? We need to be asking now, what would God have us to do? And we know where to go first. 
Not some mystical feeling in our heart. But what does he tell us in his word? As last month's Psalm of the Month says in Psalm 119, 66 through 68, Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. You want to know how to do the will of God? Study his word. And understand the other way. If you don't study his word, like it says in 1 Peter 2, if you don't study his word, have you tasted the grace of God? God, the blood of Jesus Christ was shed to take away sins. If you don't want to know what it looks like to have your sins taken away, why do you think you're enduring and doing the will of God? If you never open the Bible, if you never read the Bible, what makes you think that you're doing the will of God? You don't want to know what the will is. The first sign of actually wanting to do the will of God is you read His Word and you find out what His will is. Doing His will is about, through the opening of our understanding through the Holy Spirit, doing what He commands in His Word. Doing His will is how you receive the promise. Those who do His will to the end, they receive the promise. The promise of being a joint heir with Christ. The promise of not, and again, it's not because of the work we do. It's not a payment. It's a promise. God doesn't owe us anything. We owe God everything. We owe Him perfect obedience. So it's not like, oh, you obey and do the will of God, so then I'll pay you off by, by saving you and giving you eternal life. No, He saves us. But his salvation is effectual so that we do his will. And then you receive the promise. The promise that is not of works, but of faith. You want to know that you're going to receive the promise? Are you doing the will of God? Do you know the will of God? That's how you may receive the promise turning from your sin, looking to the word of God as the light to your path. That's where you have assurance. That's how you know that you do, that you will receive eternal life. It's not that you have some feeling. It's not that God sometime opened your eyes to some of your sin and convicted you of sin. God does that for unbelievers. The Holy Spirit was sent not just to convict believers, but to convict the whole world of sin. But the way that believers know they're believers is they do the will of God. And they endure in doing the will of God. It's not a one-off thing. It's not like, well, I did it when they were plundering my goods. I did your will, Father, so you have to let me into heaven. No, that's workspace righteousness. Faith is you continue to do his works because you believe that he is God and you believe that he is your Lord and you believe that he has the right to tell you what to do and that he's wiser and good, better and and more holy and more all his ways are better than your ways. Why wouldn't you do his ways? Why would you do your ways? When you do your ways, you're testifying you don't believe. And yes, we all stumble and fall. But what's the pattern of your life? Verses 37 and 38. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So now the writer of Hebrews is going to quote from Habakkuk. 
And so we really need to know the context of Habakkuk. If we're going to rightly interpret what the quote means, and, and it very much ties to already the argument that's being made in chapter 10. Habakkuk is writing about the same time as Jeremiah when the, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, are about to destroy them. Habakkuk 1.6, For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, this is God speaking, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. So Habakkuk's response to that statement is in verse 13. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? And he's using the person as added, but the, the idea is here is he's looking at, at the Chaldeans. He's looking at Babylon and going, look at how wicked these people are. Look at how treacherous they are. But yet, you're going to allow him and you're going to send the Chaldeans to destroy us? We're clearly more righteous than they are. How can you judge the Jews when you know how terrible the Chaldeans are? How can you hold your tongue? And then the verse first verse of chapter 2, Habakkuk says, I'm, I'll stand back and watch, and I'll see how God responds. But notice, it's about behavior. Habakkuk's looking at them and saying, well, they're more righteous, the Jews are more righteous, their, their society, their culture is better, because it has been informed by the word of God. But God's looking at the heart. Not what they were actually doing. Habakkuk's looking at Judah and he's looking at the Babylonians and he's saying, look, they're a lot more pagan. And God's looking at Judah and going, no, actually they are. Because they know who God is and they're refusing to obey him. They're worse. They're worse than the Babylonians. So then the Lord responds in Habakkuk 2, 2 through 5, which... Hebrews is quoting from the middle of this. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. In the new in Hebrews, that's quoted as he, not it, because it's obviously referring to Christ. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man, and he does not stay at home, because he enlarges his desires as hell, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nation and heaps up for himself all peoples. So first God says, write this out. Write this out so that the people understand that he may run who reads this. He's explaining to Judah why his judgment's coming upon them. Why, in his sight, they're worse than the Chaldeans. Not that he's not going to judge them. He judges Babylon. The Medes and Persians, who were also wicked people. Cyrus was a really wicked person, if you look back in history, and all his idolatry. But yet he judges the Chaldeans. They're not going to escape judgment. But he judges Judah first. He's explaining to Judah why his judgment is upon them, why they're worse than the Chaldeans. Even though their behavior, if you ignore knowledge 
in what they understand, their behavior is not worse. But yet God has appointed a time. And he will speak and he will not lie. He has appointed a time. Verses 6 through 12. Will not take up a proverb against them, him, and a taunting riddle against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his, how long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you? And you will become their booty. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many people and sin against your soul. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the timbers will answer it. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. And so he said, here's the proud, here's the just, and here's what the proud do. The proud cheat their creditors. The proud, the, the proud just try to figure out how they can increase their goods. The, prouds, the proud look towards idols. The proud covet gain for their house. That's what the proud do. And so it's all about behavior. It's all about behavior. He's saying, here's how you tell who the proud are. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, and here's how you tell who the just are. Because the just are the opposite of the proud. He's drawing a contrast between the evil that a proud man does and the destruction that that produces Versus someone who actually has faith, who actually has been made just by God and what he does. And he's saying, run from the destruction. Run from being like that. Run from from being the proud. Because everybody's either one of two categories. You're either proud or you're just. The proud say, my judgment is what stands. The just say, it's God's judgment that stands. And it's obviously there's judgment that's about to come on Judah and the Babylonians, but that's not what he's talking about with due time. The writer of Hebrews is making it very clear. This is about the establishment of the new covenant. This is about the destruction of Judah at the time of the new covenant when it's established. It's pointing to the judgment that comes on Judah at the time of Christ. God judges the proud. He sends the Romans in even though they were as Daniel described them in Daniel 2.40, and the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, the kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. That's what the Roman kingdom was like. And God uses it to destroy the Jews and to send them back to Egypt, as was promised in Deuteronomy 28. And so God's saying... Just, again, in Hebrews 10, he just quoted from Deuteronomy 32. How their foot will slip in due time and he will wet his glittering sword, right? Vengeance is mine. That's when they get sent out and they go back to Egypt. And so the reference here in Habakkuk, it's the same reference that he just used. I mean, he's referencing the same events that he just used. Verses 
when he's going to destroy Judah and drive them off the land. Habakkuk 2, 13 and 14, Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Understand, when God judged Judah, where they said they were the people of God, but they were actually the proud, this was about him increasing the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's important for us to understand that. When judgment came on, on he's, it works for Habakkuk too. Habakkuk's going, the Chaldeans, they're horrible. Why would you judge us? That Chaldeans are so much worse. And God says, because I want my glory to be made known. Because that's the purpose. And his glory is known when he has these wicked Nebuchadnezzar. It's a wicked, evil man until God humbled him. But yet, God says Judah's worse because they're stealing glory from God. And how much more, if that's Mosaic law, how much more is that true? If that's what it was like with the Babylonians and Judah, how much more is that true after Jesus Christ shed his blood to take away sin and people say that they're Christians and to have no sin taken away? They're trampling the blood of Jesus Christ underfoot. How much worse is that than what Judah was doing when the Roman army destroyed them and sent them back as slaves? to Egypt how much worse so we should read this and we should ask ourselves how should we run that doesn't mean to flee to the hills that means how do we run how do we act how do we how do we respond in haste to this and the answer is do the will of God that's the answer do the will of God you have to endure in doing the will of God if you want to receive the promise Now, let's go back to how the writer of Hebrews quotes it. And again, the New Testament never quotes Scripture out of context because Christ wrote it all, and he has it. He is the Word, and it is always in context. So he says, for yet a little while. So Habakkuk is speaking here, or what God is speaking to Habakkuk that he records is the establishment of the New Covenant. That's what the writer of Hebrews has been talking about, the difference between those covenants, that, that they should have an expectation of the judgment to come. They were supposed to run who hears it, to be hasty about living by faith rather than living as the proud. And he who is coming, the promise of the Messiah will be filled. Christ will come as promised. But the point is not about him coming with blessing. It's about him coming with judgment. That's the context of Habakkuk. That's the context of Hebrews 10. He's going to come in judgment. The writer of Hebrews has just made a reference to Deuteronomy 32. He just warned us that if that's what it was like for them, what will it be like for us? If we fail to do his will while we say that we're Christians, how much worse will the judgment be upon us? He said, the vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The Lord will judge his people. And then he goes, and it's a lot worse if the blood of Jesus Christ is what you're disparaging rather than just the Mosaic law. So the writer of Hebrews is saying what happened at the time of Habakkuk where they said the destruction of the Lord would come upon them. That was just a type. The reality is when Christ comes in accordance with Deuteronomy 32 and he ends Israel as the people of God, 
and he establishes the church as the people of God and brings the Gentiles in. The better covenant, the broader covenant, the effectual covenant. So the writer of Hebrews is warning them of the judgment that will come upon them and that judgment that's going to come upon them. And remember, they're in, he's probably writing to the Jews in Jerusalem who had their goods plundered, who were put out of the synagogues. They were mistreated. They were, they were shamed. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, he's not going to tarry. He's going to judge. Because they're blaspheming the name of God. But we shouldn't think about them. We should think, how much worse will it be for us? How much worse will it be for us? If we claim to know God, if we claim to read the word of God, if we claim to study it and believe it and have faith, and we don't do his will, how much worse would you expect it to be for us? The writer of Hebrews is warning them of the judgment that will come upon them so that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the water covers the sea. Without destroying Israel, people would not understand the glory of the Lord because the church has twisted what God did with the destruction of Israel, with the destruction of Judah. No wonder we don't want to retain God in our knowledge. We don't want to see his glory. When you twist what happened to Israel, you lose the glory of God. You lose the knowledge of the glory of God. People would not understand the glory of the Lord because they wouldn't understand he's truly holy if his people continue to walk in such a way that they're in rebellion to his will. Not, me- not just measurably better than the people around them. That was true for the Jews and the Babylonians. They were measurably, they were demonstrably, by sight you could see, they were a, a, a more just people than the Babylonians. But God goes, but they're blaspheming my name. They're obviously worse. We need to not just be better than the people around us. We need to be categorically different. We need to be categorically saying, I'm here to do the will of God rather than to do my own will. So he will come. Christ will come in judgment is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. And again, Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews is largely a commentary on Psalm 110. He talks about being on the order of Melchizedek. He talks about all his enemies will be made his footstool. But there's also a promise in Psalm 110, verses 5 through 7, a promise of judgment. The Lord is at your right hand. He will execute kings in the days of the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He will fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. He'll kill many kings, but he starts with Judah. For judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Judgment begins with those who profess to be gods, but whose hearts are far from him because they will not do his will. So he will come and he will not tarry. He won't delay. When he comes in judgment, he'll judge hastily. When he comes, he will execute in the day of his wrath. He will come at his, holy, at his appointed time and no one can delay his coming. But then it goes, but there's a way to run and escape. There's a way to escape the wrath of God. Now the just, the just shall live by faith. It's interesting that the writer of Hebrews cuts out a section here, right? Remember in Habakkuk it says, Behold, the proud, his soul is not in him. 
because he's drawing the contrast. Here's what the proud look like. Here's what the just look like. You can see a difference. And you go through Judah, and guess what? You can't see a difference because they're proud, and they deserve the wrath of God, but they're saying they're the just. But in Hebrews, he cuts out that part because he's talking to the people who believe they're just. And so all this is in the context of behavior from Habakkuk, but here it's like, and here's how the just live. Focus on the just. Don't focus on the proud. Habakkuk was focusing on the proud because he was talking to Israel and, and Judah. And the writer of Hebrews is talking to the church, and he's going, the just. This is who I'm talking to. The proud who are sure they're right with God. They're the ones who will stand before God and say, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? And they're the ones who he will say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You who refuse to do my will. Those are the ones that go to hell. The ones who refuse to do the will of God. And God's saying, The just are not like that. He's still warning them. You may have the testimony of being proud, but the you may not have the testimony of being proud, but the sign is not avoiding pride. Instead, the sign of being just. And first of all, it's important to recognize that he's not saying that that he's saying those who God has saved, they are the just. Just like those who God has saved are the people who walk in truth. That's a term for the righteous. It's very connected to righteous. But the just means he's not going, you know, you'll become just if you're a Christian. He's saying Christians are just. It's important that we see that as a term for Christians because the modern church has largely separated justice from having any meaning. That they don't think the church has anything to do with justice, but, but that's a term for Christians, the just. Those who actually can judge unbiasedly, they're the just. Those that can actually apply the word in a fair and righteous way, that's what Christ does, right? Micah 6, 8. This is, what God, this is the duty of man to do justly. And so those who are saved, those who have had their sin removed by Christ, that's the first sign is that they do justly, that they're the just. So people want to twist that and say that it means the justified. No, it means those who are just, those who Christ has changed, those whose Christ's blood was effectual in causing them to be a different people. Basic sign of being saved, the basic sign of being an heir of the promises of God is to be just. By implication, it means holy. Because God is just. God is holy. But it's the most basic aspect of holiness is that you are just. That you walk in righteousness. So the just shall live. They're already just. They're already right with God. So the statement is not about how you become just. It's about what the just do. So this isn't about salvation by works. This is about the works that are produced by salvation. Those who are just, then how shall they live? They'll act in their life. And 
People want to twist this and say this is about eternal life. This isn't about eternal life. That's not the context of Habakkuk 2. The context of Habakkuk 2 is the proud try to get their neighbor drunk so they can take advantage of them. The just don't do that. That's the context of Habakkuk 2. You know, why was Judah being destroyed by the Babylonians? It wasn't because God couldn't stop it. God sent them because they were not living by their faith. They were proud. They were drunkards. They enlarged their desires as hell. They, they borrowed money and didn't repay. They, they did all these things that everybody in the world does. But God goes, but they called themselves the people of God. That's why they got judged. When you think the just shall live, this is about how they behave in their life. They shall live by faith. Their f- lives are marked by enduring in the will of God, by, by actually having belief that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God gets to tell them what to do. That's what they have to endure in. Regardless of what the people around them think, they have to live in accordance to their faith. They have to... Their faith has to manifest itself in their lives. As James says, you say you have faith, I'll show you my faith by my works. That's the same thing that the writer of Hebrews 10 is. You have to endure in doing the will of God. You have to, you have to be able to see works in your life. If you don't see works in your life, you're pretending like the sacrifice of Jesus Christ did nothing different than the sacrifice of a bull. But if anyone, so now the writer of Hebrews, even though the New King James acts like this is a continued quote, it's not a continued quote, although it's kind of a good summary of the rest of chapter 2 of Habakkuk. But he's not quoting anymore. But if anyone, it rebukes those who seek, you know, the rest of Habakkuk 2 is, I will destroy those who seek to enlarge themselves at the expense of others. I'll seek those who, who just want to borrow and not repay. I'll seek those who covet evil gain for their house. I'll seek those who want to get their neighbor drunk to take advantage of him. I'll, I'll, I'll judge those, not seek those, I'll judge those who bow down to statutes, statues, those who practice idolatry. God's saying, if you draw back to any of those things, I will judge you and I will destroy you and you'll be like Judah. And yeah, the Babylonians might be worse that I send. But so what? You're worse because you're blaspheming the name of God. God will judge each of these things with judgment and destruction. So if anyone draws back. So there's the, there's the picture of staying under the judgment, right? Enduring, staying under. Hupomeno remaining under the judgment. And this is the opposite, the drawing back. If you stop living by faith, if you start living by sight, if you start doing what's right according to your own eyes rather than doing what's right in the revealed will of God, if you start to do what you think is wise rather than what God says is wise, that's drawing back. And that to endure means to remain under. To draw back means to shrink, to cower away. So where you're supposed to stand, the one you stand there regardless of what happens, the other is you pull back, you, you, you cower, you hide. You won't continue to do the will of God when it becomes hard to do the will of God. That's what he's warning them about. Yeah, they accepted the plundering of their goods. Yeah, they joyfully accepted it. Yeah, they would go meet Paul in prison. But if later, if they go, well, I'm, I'm afraid, 
I'm not going to do what God says because I'm afraid. God's saying, you're drawing back. You're cowering. You're not remaining under the, the struggle, under the suffering that I've appointed for you. We have to remain and do the will of God regardless of what God gives us. If they got draw back, God's not pleased with them. They're trampling the blood of Jesus Christ underfoot. They're acting like his blood is no better than the blood of a goat. But Jesus Christ came to take away sin. And he says, my soul, I think it's really interesting that the word soul is used rather than spirit. Because obviously it's a reference to God here. Pneuma, which is typically translated spirit, that's more than just breath. It also can mean breeze. It, you know, like the, the spirit blows where it wills. When you use, which is pneuma, when you use psuche, which is the word here, it, it connects more to life. It's like, it's still breath, but it's like a living, breathing being. The breath that's connected to a life. And I think that's probably the reason why soul's used here is it's to connect back. Jesus Christ took on flesh and he walked in perfect righteousness. He came and he physically did the will of the Father in all things, even to the point of death on the cross. He said, not my will, but your will be done. And so he's saying, my example, my soul, my, my, my taking on flesh, my having breath is why I have no pleasure in you if you draw back. Because it's an insult to the fact that he took on life, that he became under the law, that he, he took on flesh. He was tempted as we are, but yet he did the will of God. The person who says he's following Christ but refuses to do the will of God. And I don't mean that they don't stumble and fall. The promise in First John is we all stumble and fall. But the question is, what's the pattern of your life? Is it to do the will of God? Are you practicing sin or are you practicing righteousness? Everybody's practicing one or the other. It says no pleasure in them. Pleasure is eudokeo, which literally means to think well of. This isn't just that he goes, oh, yeah, this is pleasing. It's that he goes, that's somebody I don't like is what it means when he says I have no pleasure in him. Don't think it, Christ is still looking at you when you don't want to do the will of God and saying, oh, but that's my child. That's not what it says. If your heart is not to do the will of God, he's going, I have no pleasure in him at all. Christ came to destroy sin, so how could he be pleased with those? Not, not those who just stumble and fall, but those whose desire and their pursuit and they draw back from doing the will of God because he came to call a people that would actually do the will of God how could he have any pleasure in anybody who said they want to practice lawlessness that they want to draw back God finds no pleasure in the one who does not endure in doing the will of the father verse 39 but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. But we are not. He's telling them that those who are truly saved, those who Christ has given a heart of flesh, 
those who Christ has through the Holy Spirit written the law in their minds, written it on their heart. Among those, we are not of those who draw back. Those who God has truly saved, those who God has truly worked in their heart, those who he has made just, they don't draw back. It's the same word that was used in the previous verse. They don't shrink back. They don't cower. Yeah, you might be afraid to walk as you should walk, but they walk it anyway. Those who are of that persuasion, they receive the promise. Those who want to draw back and don't do what they should do. God says they draw back to perdition. They draw back to ruin. They draw back to destruction, to apostasy. There's all kinds of words that could be used, but effectually they're the proud ones in Habakkuk. The ones that God promises he will destroy. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. Those who stop doing the will of God while professing to be of the people of God, that increases God's wrath upon them. Because in their pride, they're accusing Christ of being a failure. They're trampling the blood of Jesus Christ underfoot. They're saying that it's just like the blood of a goat. God will make the knowledge of his holiness fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. He will do that. And he does that by judging those who claim to be his, but whose lives don't testify to it, who, who cause his name to be mocked among the unbelievers. Christ's greatest battle when he walked the earth was with the hypocrites, with the Pharisees, not even with the Sadducees, specifically with the Pharisees. Because they said, look, we've studied all these things about God. We know everything about his law. We've come up, we've twisted it. We've come up with all these traditions. We're wiser than you are and more holy than you are. And his charge against them over and over again was hypocrite. That's what it looks like to draw back. Are you a hypocrite? Do you say you're a Christian, but yet do not desire to do the will of God? That's whose God's greatest wrath is upon. Those who claim to be his people but don't want to do his will. That's far more upsetting than somebody who carves an idol and bows down before it like a fool and worships this idol that he just made. It's taking the name of God in vain. It's saying he has no power. He's saying they draw back to ruin. They draw back to perdition. Those who stop doing the will of God That's why God sent the Babylonians to destroy Judah as a warning for us. That if we profess to be of his name, if we profess to be Christians but don't do his will, we should expect worse judgment than Babylon coming into Jerusalem who was a nation of probably millions and bring it down to 4,600 people. We're supposed to look at that and we're supposed to go, that's what God does. To the people who did that in the Old Covenant. The people who rejected the Mosaic Law and said the Mosaic Law, that that's not holy. How much worse will it be in the New Covenant? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. But just as Habakkuk drew two groups, so does the writer of Hebrews. But of those, of those who believe, 
those who have true saving faith, those who that faith manifests itself by how they walk in the world, that they walk by faith, that they live by faith. That's to the saving of their souls. The ones who believe and who live based on the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart to believe and to trust and to understand who God is. Those who have saving faith, they walk in accordance to that faith. They walk the way they believe to the saving of their souls. They're the ones who receive the promise of eternal life. They're the ones, the ones who endure to the end. They're the ones who will dwell with God forever. Not those who had this short period where they wanted to follow God, but those who God conformed to his image. And his image was, he did the will of God. Let me give you some applications. The first is, are you enduring in doing the will of God? What you receive by doing the will of God is not temporal blessings in this life. That's what the church wants to sell so often. You can have peace, you can have comfort, you can have community, you can have all these other things. God doesn't promise any of that. He says, I came to bring a sword. I divide families. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods. It's about as anti-prosperity gospel as you can get. What he came to do was to produce a people that would endure doing his will. That in the midst of trials, they would do what God said to do. He doesn't save us to comfort. He saves us for suffering. Because Christ suffered. He saved us to be rejected by the world and to be hated by the world. He saves us to do his will. And if we do his will, the world will hate us. And that's how you receive the confidence of the promise. That's how you receive what he said was such a great reward. To have the confidence that you can know you're saved. It's by doing the will of God in the midst of difficult circumstances. By enduring. When you do the will of God, when it doesn't seem right, when the world fights against you, when your gut tells you this won't work, that's when the just live by their faith. And they do the will of God, even when they think it doesn't make any sense. Endurance is about walking by faith, not by sight. Endurance is doing his will when it doesn't make any sense, and not only when it does. Are you enduring and doing the will of God? Another application. Christ comes in judgment with haste. When he comes to judge, he destroys, he kills. And it's perfectly just because he's, because he's right to judge sin. But don't think that's the time to get right with God. Don't think that's the time where you go, oh, now I'm going to change. Now I'm going to start doing his will. No, then it's too late. The time to run to do his will is now. The time to get right with God is now. Don't put it off. We live in a nation where you read Romans 1 and you can see we're being judged. I don't know when the wrath will come. I don't know when the destruction will come upon us in full. 
might be next week, it might be 300 years, I have no idea. But what I can tell you is God will judge, and when he judges, he'll judge in haste, so now's the time to run and to do the will of God now. Now's the time to live by your faith and not give lip service to it. No one can deliver any from the hand of God. And remember, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. Do God's will now. Another application. Now is the time to make your calling election sure. Don't look at the past to see if you're saved. Those are useful things. The writer of Hebrews just did it. Look at how your goods were plundered. Look at how you were mocked. Look at how you were made a spectacle. But then he goes, look at what you're doing now. It can be useful things to see how God has changed you and to worship God and be thankful towards God and how he's changed you. But the question should always be, am I doing God's will now? Because running with endurance is what's required. Not a little sprint where you go, oh, I'm fine. I can look back and I was being persecuted. I had this happen to me and this happened to me. I lost this and I lost that. What are you doing now? Are you doing the will of God now? That's what's important. We can never look back to what we were doing before and say that means we're walking in righteousness now. That's not God's standard. God's standard, are you enduring now? Are you doing the will of God now? Don't think, if you think that you can look back and see how God's worked in your life, see how he's changed you, what sins he's broken you of, and then you look at now and go, yeah, I'm sinning in that way, but you know those things I turn from, so that must mean I'm okay here. You just stated works-based righteousness, where it's all a big scale. Nope, that's not how it works. It's not a scale. It's God gives a heart, a heart to do the will of God. And if you think you can look back and say, oh, look at all these great things God did in my life. Look at all these great things I did for God. And that excuses anything now. No, the answer is the opposite. To whom much is given, much is expected. It increases the judgment now, not decreases. That's biblical. Yes, we should look back to praise God, but you need to be looking right now. Am I doing the will of God or not? That's how you make your calling and election sure. That's how you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're not supposed to look at what we were and go, clearly I'm saved. We're supposed to look at where we are now and say, am I doing what God would have me to do now? Am I, am I submitting to God? Am I treating him as Lord? God saved us so that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth. When someone appears righteous and then falls away like Israel, Instead of going, oh, I can look. I'm the people of God. That's exactly what Israel did when Jesus Christ came. And they said, we're free. We have Abraham for our father. And what does Christ say? If you had Abraham for your father, you'd do the works of Abraham. We can look back and say, look at what God did in our life. And the statement's the same. Do you have God as your father? Then you do the will of God. It's that simple. Are you doing the will of God? Don't look back at how he has changed you. Look and say, right now, am I doing the will of God? Is that my desire? Because God will preserve the holiness of his name. And the way he does that is by bringing swift destruction on those who profess to be his, but whose hearts are far from him. Another application that's related to that. We need to have boldness. The sign of being saved is not just that you're a nice person. 
It's when you're attacked, when people reproach you, when they try to get you to retreat, when they try to get you to walk as the world walks. Instead of doing what God commands, you don't shrink back. You don't draw away. Revelation 21, 6 through 8 says, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their, play, have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. True saving faith produces boldness. Fake faith produces cowardice. You cower. And God says, if you cower, I have no pleasure in you. If you draw back, which means to cower, I have no pleasure in you. Christ saves us to boldness. Not just to to kind of not be offensive, to be inoffensive, to be in the background. That's not what Christ saves us to be because that doesn't bring glory to his name. He saves us to boldness. To boldly do what God commands us to do. And that will cause the world to hate us. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Do you have boldness? Here's a a general application that we should take and think about and ask ourselves what we should do about it. We should be very concerned. Throughout the world, I've been to many countries... And throughout the world, everybody looks to the United States as the Christian nation. The way it is, you go to Africa and they go, I remember a question I got where, where the guy said, okay, I read through the Bible and it says sodomy's wrong, but then 98% of the people in America say sodomy's okay, so how am I misreading the Bible? Because they go, America is the Christian country. So what should we expect if that's what he would do to Judah? What should we expect in America? We should recognize, we should expect the wrath of God so that the, glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the, or the knowledge of the glory of the Lord fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. And the way he does that is through judgment. We're seeing a rise of judgment in the U.S. through Obergefell, through other things, through the blindness and the darkness that has come upon us as a country. We should expect the equivalent of the Babylonians to to invade us because God will make sure his name is glorified. The solution to that is to speak. The solution to that is to declare who God is. The solution to that is to stop being ashamed of who God is we want America not to suffer we need to be like Jeremiah right that's why we're studying the book of Jeremiah Sunday evenings is if we don't want the wrath of the Babylonians or the wrath of God to be expressed by the equivalent of the Babylonians for utter destruction that's where we are as a nation we're seen by the world as the people of God but yet we don't think you have to do the will of God and we export the false gospel the blasphemous gospel all throughout the world and we have destroyed so many nations by preaching a false gospel. 
we should recognize how much we should be afraid. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. We should be afraid that we're thought of as the same level as ancient Israel. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We have a mission field where we are. We should be really diligent to fulfill the mission that God has given us. I do have another application. It's important through all this to remember we can be pleasing to God only through faith. As the writer of Hebrews continues the argument, the same argument in chapter 11, and I know we're going to go back to Leviticus for probably two or three months, but when we come back to Hebrews 11, one of his conclusions is in verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The proud are those who don't look to God. Those who walk according to their understanding, they're not looking to God. It's faith. It's by having faith that we can be just. We can walk in righteousness. It's by having faith that we can do the will of God. It's by having faith that we can be pleasing to him. He takes no pleasure in those who draw back, but he does take pleasure in those who walk by faith, those who live by their faith. Do you live by their faith? Does God find pleasures in you? The one who receives the promise of eternal life are those who God finds pleasure in. The ones who receive eternal damnation are those he doesn't find pleasure in finds pleasure in those who live according to his will does God find pleasure in you let me close in prayer oh Lord God we do thank you for where you have us we know that you have it appointed for a purpose for a reason Lord let us let us see what you're saying in these passages and let us have ears to hear and eyes to see for we recognize that it is your spirit that guides us to knowledge it's your spirit that opens our eyes and convicts us of sin. Lord, let us see where we're failing to do your will. Let us see where we're failing to to walk in accordance to your commandments, where we're not following your spirit, where we're not doing the things that you would have us to do for your namesake and for your glory. Lord, convict us of our sin. Convict us when we fall short. And let lift us up. Give us power and strength so that we can do your will. We thank you that you sent your spirit to cause us to walk in your commandments and your statutes. Oh God, let us be more faithful to do so, so that your glory is seen by the people around us, by our faithfulness, by our, by our walking in such a way that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. For this is what you saved us to. May we be faithful to do your will in all things. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.